Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Eric Henry and Joe Londrigan here with you, as always, looking forward to talking some G5 football. Uh, Eric Henry, I understand you were traveling up to Lynchburg to cover the Liberty FIU game. How was uh, your weekend of traveling, good sir? Yeah, so the actual, um, you know, four hours or three and a half hours of gameplay was phenomenal, as usual. It's always a a pleasure to get there and cover a game, but the travel itself was interesting. This is the question I have for you, Joe, and I, I purposely didn't prep you for this, you know, pre-show. Have you ever been on a flight where the pilot has come on and said, in order for me to land this plane, I need every single electronic device, not just cell phone, but laptop, turned completely off, not in airplane mode, but turned completely off, powered down, because I cannot land this plane otherwise. No, I've never <laughs> heard of such a thing. <laughs> what? Joe, I was making my, my flight back from the Lynchburg Airport. Lynchburg, Lynchburg Regional Airport has one destination, that is Charlotte. So uh, that's the flight they always make. And we were delayed getting off the tarmac because of fog. And then as we were heading... What should have been a 35-minute flight, about 38, 40 minutes into the flight, the pilot comes on and says, because of the cloud cover there, I have to use a special instrument uh, type of landing. And because of that technique, because of that, that type of landing, I need everything turned off to the point where the flight attendants scan went up and down the aisles twice and said, we need this turned off. To the point where it kind of makes you wonder, like, all right, if one person's cell phone is still on, we're just going to go, like flying into a mountain or just, I don't know, into outer space. So that kind of summed <laughs> up my, that kind of summed up my, uh, my travel between that and the legendary Charlotte airport for just turning regular everyday citizens into track stars. Uh, it, it was a unique, it was a unique weekend. <laughs> That's a good way to describe the Charlotte airport. I like that. No, I've never heard of that. That almost doesn't sound real, but I, I'm not, uh, a pilot or uh, an engineer in, in any regard. So I'll save my judgments on that. I will say it definitely reminds me of a Simpsons bit where they <laughs> turn the seatbelt sign on and Bart says, no one tells Bart Simpson what to do. And he turns yeah. it off. They're like, thanks a lot, 3C. Now we have to go all the way back to Minneapolis. And they just turn the plane around. <laughs> uh, Joe, yeah. it, it was funny, really quick. There was one person who did not want to turn their phone off. And they'd like, the flight attendant stopped and were like, ma'am, we need it off. So it definitely is. Uh, it was um, related to that type of scenario. There's always a Karen. There's always a Karen. There's always. I'll say that. There's always one. <laughs> anyway, uh, how geez. was your well, weekend, <laughs> Mine was good. Um, 
just uh, watch some some football at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings on Sunday for the NFL day. But on uh, Saturday, I got <laughs> dragged to a uh, pumpkin patch for the majority of the day <laughs> because it's fall and we're in the south. Um, and in my defense, I asked, will I be able to watch football at, at this place? And like a dummy, I believed my my future wife when she said yes which is my own fault it's a pumpkin patch of course they don't have tvs <laughs> but anyway <laughs> yeah so it was, a, it was a fun weekend in the uh louisville greater area uh hubers if anybody has ever been there you know what i'm talking about but anyway uh some interesting cusa action over the weekend let's dive into that here uh uab really solid thursday night performance out of them against south alabama actually as good as we've seen the uab offense in a while 500 total yards of offense three touchdowns on the ground for spencer brown three touchdowns through the air for quarterback uh bryson lucero um really i don't see how you can be more satisfied with this performance if you're a uab fan you just got to hope they continue this style of play into uh, the conference slate here Joe, I know the big takeaway for a lot of people was the play of Bryson Lacero. And that makes sense, right? Because he's making his first start. And maybe I'm not giving the kid enough credit because making your first start, that could have gone horribly, you know, could have gone horribly in general. But my big takeaway, Joe, is Spencer Brown. I just feel that UAB, you know, they've been able to put together receivers who can stretch uh, the field, whether it's Austin Watkins or Myron Mitchell or Kendall Parham or, you know, they've, they've had those type of receivers who can stretch the field. But my thing is the constant in this offense is Spencer Brown. You saw last year how stagnant that offense kind of looked when Spencer Brown wasn't healthy and, and you know, he, he, he wasn't the, uh, the running back that we saw during his freshman and sophomore years. I just think that the constant with UAB's offense is if you can get a healthy Spencer Brown who can put the ball in the end zone three times and rush for, you know, over four yards a pop and, and get his 25 carries in, I just think that's the most consistent way for success. Because if you look at, again, you look at the UAB offense over the past few years, the passing game has been hit or miss, whether it's been Tyler Johnson or A.J. Erdley or, or whoever it may be. It's been hit or miss. It's been boom or bust. But when Spencer Brown is on, you know that UAB's offense will be kicking and, and will be heading in the right direction. So for me, the big takeaway is that Spencer Brown is back, not as much as the performance of Bryson Lacero, which was outstanding. Don't get me wrong. But it just the, the biggest thing for me was, if you can get that defense going, which, you know, they have one of the best defenses in Conference USA and Spencer Brown's healthy, UAB is going to be, in my opinion, a favor in the West. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Uh, Spencer Brown continues to impress us year after year and uh, certainly going to be sad to see him leave when he eventually does finish his college career at UAB. But uh, Blazers off to as about as good of a start as they realistically could have hoped for here. Uh Another team in that same position, UTSA, they get the Friday night win in the Alamo Dome against Middle Tennessee State, 37 to 35. So let's look at this for the Roadrunners first. The bad news is Frank Harris sprained his knee and could miss at least a week to heal that. But the good news is that Josh Adkins, the second stringer, made the most of his opportunity at quarterback for the Roadrunners going 16 to 28 for 233 yards and a touchdown. So also a pretty good day from Sincere McCormick as well. Don't want that to go uh, unnoticed. Um, but also let's look at this from the MTSU side. Now 
definitely their best performance of the year, especially Asher O'Hara, who threw uh, three touchdowns, however, also threw two interceptions. And if there's going to be a reason that you lose a game where you outgain your opponent and hold the ball for 10 minutes more, like MTSU did in this one, it's going to be turnovers and penalties, of which they had just a few too many. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And this was the biggest takeaway for me from the MTSU side was that the running game outside of Asher O'Hara at least got going, you know, and, and Middle Tennessee did fall behind early. I believe it was a, a might've been a 14-3 game. My memory serves me correct. I know there was a, they had a, I want to say it was a touchdown. Fortunately, it's been a long weekend, so I, I'm, I, it's escaping me right now. I can't remember if it was a touchdown or a third down conversion. I think it might've been a third, third down conversion wiped off the board because of a hold. Um, and, and that would have been like a 10 point swing there early on. But the biggest thing, like I said, is the, the middle Tennessee rushing game, Shaton Mobley and Jay McDonald kind of got going a little bit. Jay McDonald, seven carries for 76 yards. It, granted, most of that came on the 64 yard run, but at least they got something there in terms of a big plan. Shaton Mobley, 13 for 54 and two touchdowns. Cause you can't just rely on, you know, Asher O'Hara to try to run the ball and, and generate something from, from that point of view. Cause we talked about it last week. If they can't get anything from the back, it's not going to be able, be able to get anything else going. But from the UTSA perspective, I think you you kind of hit on it, Joe. Josh Adkins, you know, you get the former North, I was almost said North Carolina State, the former New Mexico State quarterback, and it's a luxury to have that kind of experience as a backup. You know, someone can come in for Frank Harris. I don't think there's any doubt that this is Frank Harris's team, despite the fact that Adkins played well. But uh, it does kind of make you think, you know, uh, he provides a different dynamic as someone who's going to look to pass first and then, you know, not necessarily use his legs. But all in all, UTSA is 3-0, Middle Tennessee is 0-3, you are what your record is. And kudos to, you know, down there at UTSA, Jeff Trailer. I mean, you have to be excited if you're a Roadrunner fan just because of the fact that we talked about it last week, Joe. Another 30-plus pl point performance when that offense over the past three years under Frank Wilson just – looked anemic at times so all in all great win for utsa and middle tennessee will look to turn it around and uh and um uh this week but they've uh they've got to get something going there because this season could get a uh, get away from them in a hurry absolutely i would argue it's already kind of getting away from them if you're going to start zero and three um and for them conference play started so the time for actions now and uh only thing i'll add for utsa and you kind of already hit it on already Still Frank Harris's team, but always nice to have that safety blanket in a, a guy like Josh Atkins who can step up when he needs to. Um, and with that, let's talk about the game that you were at personally this week. Uh, Liberty beating FIU 36 to 34 in Lynchburg. Uh, Malik Willis and DJ Stubbs of the Flames certainly helped their draft stock in this one. Um, kind of replicated what they were able to do. Uh, the previous week for them in terms of just the amount of energy they brought to that offense, uh, particularly in the first half. Um, FIU, not a bad day from what I was able to gather from their performance. I loved how they uh, ran that opening kickback, but uh, just ultimately didn't have enough in the tank to beat a uh, Liberty team that looks pretty tough right now. Yeah, I'll take it from the Liberty perspective first. If you thought or if anybody thought that Malik Willis was just a runner based on his performance against Western Kentucky, this one will prove you wrong. 24 30 for 285, two touchdowns. And it wasn't like he was dinking and dunking, guys. He was using his legs specifically to extend plays and then look downfield. And I got to give Hugh Freeze and Liberty credit. It looked like their scramble drill was just, I mean, they'd been practicing that all week in the sense of the receivers, once Willis broke out of the pocket, you just automatically saw them kind of find the holes in the defense and 
and sit down and, and Willis was able to find them. And he made a couple great throws. I mean, the two touchdown throws, Joe, FIU's uh, DBs, I believe it was a Richard. Well, no, one was Josh Turner and the other one was, uh, was Richard games. He couldn't have played it any better. It just was a great catch by DJ Stubbs and the other one by Noah Frith. I mean, just you know, phenomenal plays. From the FIU side of things, the biggest takeaway for me, or, or a couple big takeaways, one, Devontae Price is back. He was someone who FIU really expected to break out last year, but was uh, kind of banged up going into the year, had some lower body injuries. I believe he had a hamstring injury last year, but you know, never really got going. Now that he's the feature back, 13 carries for a buck 48, two touchdowns, and he kind of gives FIU that instant home run potential that they didn't have necessarily with uh, Anthony Jones and, and uh, Napoleon Maxwell, the quarterback situation, Max Bortenschlager, the former Maryland transfer got the start. He got the first two reps. Kalen Wiggins got the next two reps and uh, didn't really engineer much of anything. <laughs> you know, you, did, you hit the nail on the head with the, uh, the kick return was the first score for FIU. And then Devonte price had a, uh, had the other score to make it 14, 14 at halftime. Stone Norton, the highly touted three-star recruit from Nashville, comes in, and his first drive, Joe, he looked every bit of a freshman making his first, uh, his, his collegiate debut, actually. The drive went three plays for negative 14 yards, included a delay a game. But after that, he got things going. You know, had a, a gorgeous throw to Bryce Singleton for a touchdown. Butch Davis noted afterwards that, you know, he thought that that throw was uh, kind of the best throw of the game for many of his quarterbacks. And the defense played well enough to win. I mean, the biggest thing that killed FIU, Joe, was penalties. Uh, they had two um, – oh, come on, I'm forgetting the name of the call right now um, – uh, where the defense gets hit for for mimicking the offensive signals. I, I, I can't remember the exact verbiage of what they they termed that penalty, but they got hit for two of those from middle linebacker Tyson Maeva. Two questionable pass interference calls kind of hurt them. And in the end, Joe, they actually had a chance to win. You know, Stone Norton drove them down the field. They, uh, they got it between – they got it to 34-36, went for the two-point conversion – True freshman tight end Rivaldo Fairweather actually dropped the two-point conversion in the uh, in the end zone the end. And, uh, you know, tough break for, uh, once again, a true freshman making his collegiate debut. But give credit to Liberty. I mean, they, they you know, held tough. They were supposed to be an eight-point favorite, and certainly, you know, FIU pushed them. But in the end, Malik Willis was just too much. Absolutely. Interesting to see how that season's going to continue to go for him. And uh, if nothing else, FIU showed they definitely have uh, some spark as they begin their season Finally, <laughs> uh, and then let's move on to uh, Tulane and Southern Miss uh, Green Wave winning rather easily 66 to 24 in this one. Southern Miss simply could not stop uh, Cameron Carroll of Tulane, who ran for 163 yards and three touchdowns. Ultimately, I think if you're a Southern Miss fan, you really wanted them to you know, show that they still have it in this game, despite all the early adversity they've had to face with Jay Hobson leaving uh, players opting out injuries, et cetera. And, you know, ultimately they just didn't really do that. Tulane is a decent enough team for sure, but definitely didn't think they were going to get almost tripled up here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that was kind of the biggest disappointment for me is that Tulane put up 66 points, but here's the thing. When you talk about the opt-outs and then it came out after the game that cornerback Shannon Showers uh, actually isn't with Southern Miss, I guess he was dismissed prior to um, week one. It was a situation where Jay Hobson made that that choice and, uh, you know, Scotty Walden said that he wasn't clued in as to why, you know, that that was something that he wasn't uh, privy to at the time. So they just are, are so depleted defensively that this thing could really get away. And or, well, <laughs> if it hasn't already gotten away for Southern Miss, it, it could, you know, this kind of spiral. But the big thing, you know, Tulane was starting Michael Pratt, who's a kid from 
this area, Deerfield Beach, you know, a freshman quarterback. And um, he looked, I mean, eight of 18 for a buck 42 and two touchdowns. You would think that if that's going to be the opposing stat line for uh, for the, the quarterback, that he at least might have a chance in the game. But just the run defense couldn't stop anything. I mean, you know, I, I see a buck 63 for Cameron Carroll, 123 for Stephon Hutterson. It, that just wasn't going to get the job done. So definitely for Southern Miss, they've got plenty of holes to fill. But you almost feel bad from the same point in time because – Joe, I don't know if you feel this way. This seemed almost like a season that was lost before it even started. Yeah, but I feel like you could make that argument for a lot of programs, given just the the pandemic circumstances and all that. But I will give it to you that I think they it feels like they had more key players opt out more so than most other G5 programs. Um, and then the fact that, you know, Hobson left as early in the season as he did i mean ultimately i think it puts southern miss in a better position to succeed next year if your coach if you make a coaching change you know this early mid-season or or whatever you want to call it but yeah they every possible obstacle they could face in one season they keep getting hit with so i mean yes there are things that they could be doing better but it's like one step forward three steps back for southern miss and a lot of it's out of their control unfortunately um or at least out of scotty walton's control (laughs) um with that then let's let's talk about some some actually happier circumstances for a cusa program utep absolutely demolishing ul monroe 31 to 6 last week uh, the Miners are three and one best start in 10 years for them. Last time they were three and one or better to start the season 2010. So I ask you this question, Eric Henry, do we need to start taking UTEP footballs seriously, or at least to some degree? Joe Londrigan, I am all aboard the UTEP bandwagon. And here's the thing. They are entering conference play. So this is really going to be the, proving ground to know if that program under Dana Dimmel has turned the corner. And I know what you're going to say, right? Or not you, but, you know, some people will say, Louisiana Monroe isn't that good. Yes, they're a team that in the past five years, uh, uh, or past four years, excuse me, highest win total, they went 6-6 six and six in 2018, you know, a couple 4-8s, and eights, a 5-7 and seven last year, they're 0-3 this year. But anyone who has watched Conference USA football knows the struggle it has been for UTEP over the past three seasons. Three wins equals, or excuse me, it exceeds the win total they've had in the past three seasons combined. I think, I'm not going to say that they're for real yet, that they're ready to contend, but Deion Hankins, and this is my biggest takeaway, and I'm going to throw it back to you to kind of get your gauge on things at UTEP and how you kind of feel about their start, because we know two of the wins came over FCS teams. But my biggest thing, Joe, is Deion Hankins. He could have gone, he had various Power 5 offers, and I wrote about this in my three things we learned about Conference USA piece uh, that came out yesterday. He had various Power 5 offers. He could have went to, you know, a a, a handful of Power 5 schools on the West Coast. But he chose to stay home and save his hometown program. You know, talking about someone who set the city rushing record in El Paso, ran for over 7,000 yards as a prep uh, player there uh, in high school in UTEP, uh, in El Paso. And I I just think, you know, that to me is a great story. Someone who was a a, a three-star, kind of borderline four-star running back could have, you know, like I said, gone to Kansas State or Baylor, had a couple Pac-10 offers, was like, I'm going to stay home and do it here. Redshirted last year, and this year he looks to be the truth. I I mean, he's just someone who, Joe, if you haven't seen him run, he is a big, big, and a quick, 
for 225 pounds, he looks like a the biggest uh, kind of comparison I can give is an Adrian Peterson type, just how he looked. I, I, I'm in love with that UTEP program in terms of what they're doing. They're building that foundation, Gavin Hardison, Cowing, and Deion Hankins. So I'll let you take it away and see what you think. But I think I am happy with what they've done so far, and the proven ground will be the next few games as they enter Conference USA play. Well, first off, I'll, I'll remind you, buddy, that it's the Pac-12 now, not the Pac-10, oh, but God. I digress. Oh, boy. <laughs> You're right. You're right. But anyway, <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think if, if it's so cool that there's this local kid in Hankins who is coming in having such an immediate impact on, like you said, his hometown program and at least getting to the point where they're not dead in the water before conference play even starts. Yeah. The teams that they played early in the season with Stephen F. Austin and Houston Baptist uh, weren't great, but I think you have something with UTEP fans and UTEP football in general, going into conference play that they haven't had in some time. And that's hope, you know, I think for the last few years, we've seen UTEP in the early stages of the season and thought if they get one win, great. But I think for the first time in a while, we're looking at a UTEP team that at least has, you know, a shot to have one of the better football seasons that they've had in almost two decades, which is really saying something. Um, but yeah, I couldn't agree more with your assessment of that big three there uh, on offense that they really have something that they need to <laughs> cherish is the wrong word, but they need to make sure that they don't waste the opportunity they have with the talent in those three guys. So interesting to see what uh, what Dana Dimmel can do with this moment Um for this program really quick before you transition i I just want to you know mention something that you mentioned i think that's a great point about hope right because if you're a fan let's say uh i live in tampa and the bucks have not been good over the past 15 years and if your team starts off you know as they have three and one granted they got tom brady but that at least gives you a little bit of hope that like hey maybe we're turning the corner and i think that that's that's a really kind of it's a simple but astute point you made as far as at least, you know, we're not out of it in week one, right? It's, it's like, you know, the old analogy, like every baseball team is in it. And, you know, when they open the season opening day and then like your team gets blown out 10 to zero and it's like, all right, we're in for a hundred losses. At least this time, you know, you're not losing by 40 points by a, a, a week one. So I think that's a great point you made. Simple, but great point about uh, there being hope in El Paso. Uh, thank you. Uh, with that, then let's uh, go to Louisiana Tech, where they uh, put up a 66 uh, point total on Houston Baptist. Um, 66 to 38 was the final there. Tech ended up getting the tune up game that I think they were hoping for here. Finally, um, we talked about it off air, but. Bailey Zapp of Houston Baptist just having a fantastic year despite his team being 0-3. It's a shame his team really doesn't do him justice, but I don't have too much to say about this game um, in addition to that. Just that, you know, I think Louisiana Tech, we knew that they had offensive talent. We knew that Skip Holtz wasn't going to, you know, let an opportunity to get a win against an FCS team slip by. Um, But ultimately, I think, you know, we saw them – make some uncharacteristic mistakes of a Louisiana tech team in the last few years in that first win against Southern miss. And I'm willing to chalk that up to the fact that 
the schedule and the practice routine and everything got messed up because of coronavirus concerns and all that. Um, but it looks like they're really getting back into the swing of things. It, it You can't put up 66 points if you're a mediocre team. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we talked about in previous podcasts the amount of returning talent they have coming back as far as Henderson and Smoke Harris, C.J. Powell, Bear, Adrian Hardy. I'm not going to go too much into Louisiana Tech because for me, I think we can expound more on them in our preview of next week when they face BYU. I think that'll be a good test. A, they'll be on national TV. And B, that'll be a test to see like, hey, is this a tech team that, you know, is going to contend in the West? Granted, BYU is ranked 22nd in the nation and maybe a step up above. But I think it'll kind of show, you know, where that program is right now. My thing is, I'm going to stop being critical of the Conference USA teams that have faced Houston Baptist because of Bailey Zappi, as you mentioned. And I, I was, you know, critical of, I could come up here and say, hey, uh, Southern Miss, excuse me, not Southern Miss, so Louisiana Tech gave up, you know, 38 points to Houston Baptist, right? But A, a lot of that was in garbage time. But B, Bailey Zappi probably would be the second or third best quarterback in Conference USA if you place him in there right now. So, you know, I'm just looking at the fact that uh, North Texas gave up 31 points. Uh, Louisiana Tech gives up 38 points. But this is a team that also pushed Texas Tech to the brink. And, you know, they're, they're a good offensive team. So my thing is, I'm not going to continue to judge the Conference USA teams and say, hey, you know, defensively, you got to shape this up because you gave up X amount of points to Houston Baptist. Bailey Zappi's really good. So that's kind of my biggest takeaway there that he continues. I think through three games, Joe, he's thrown for like 1,300 yards. So that's my biggest takeaway is if, if you're, if I have critiqued a conference USA, a conference USA team's defense for going up against Houston Baptist, I am walking that back now. Great quarterback there and Bailey's happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Very, very talented quarterback, even for the FCS level and, and all that. So interesting to see where he goes in the upcoming NFL draft. If he opts to go that route. Uh- With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With that, then, let's move on to the uh, middle segment of the show and talk about the fact that we've had so many, you know, games impacted by coronavirus concerns and positive test results, even at this very early point in the season. And one of the games that was a casualty of that this past week was Charlotte's contest against Georgia state. But here's what happened. <laughs> what, what, what happened was <laughs> uh, apparently the, uh, lab at, at Georgia State, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, tested some tested players positive. Um, I think it ended up coming to 17 players and coaches were uh, either tested positive or had come into contact with someone who had tested positive. So the decision was made to uh, cancel this game. But um, the lab ended up admitting that human error caused those tests to be positive when they actually were negative. So basically this game got canceled for no reason. And uh quote from Will Healy 
in the uh, Charlotte Observer, I believe. Um, the frustrating part is that it was incorrect information that was given. We have to be able to convince our players that we have accurate information and that we are going to protect you, end quote. Uh, another quote from Healy, scientific and medical professionals all across the country are fighting their rear ends off to be as accurate as possible. We need for that to continue to be true. But you prepare your team for something, then you tell them it's not true, question mark, end quote. So, I don't know. Here's my here's my perspective on this. Sure. Extremely unfortunate that what happened happened, that we didn't ultimately get what I thought was going to be a pretty good game due to positive tests, for, due to false negatives and that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I think, like, given the circumstances that the world is facing right now in the fact that it's a global pandemic and a disease we've never really encountered before – I mean, I think this was bound to happen, but it it just kind of sucks for these these medical professionals that this this goof, this gaffe happened in the national spotlight in the way that it did. Yeah, so I kind of have two kind of takeaways here, right? I'm thinking one from the perspective of a 17 through 20, 23 year old, right, who's playing college football. We've seen the huge movement as far as we want to play, right? And, you know, some of the leagues are now restarting and deciding, hey, maybe we made a decision too quickly to cancel the season and or move the season to the fall, whatever it may be, and we're going to try and play. (laughs) You and I have talked a lot on this podcast about kind of the the lack of, you know, ability to see the long-term, long game, you know, end game for, uh, for kids of that age. Because, you know, not too long ago, we were uh, 20, 21-year-olds. I just think when you have a situation like this, it it's going to further cloud their mind and say, well, we should be playing, right? Like, anything can happen. We, we, we think we're healthy. We should be playing. And you and I both, I think, are on the side of erring on caution because this is a global pandemic and something that we haven't seen before, or at least not in modern times. But then I have the other side of it, and I'm going to kind of read this quote again from Will Healy. The, uh, the point here is we have to be able to convince our players that we have accurate information and that we're going to protect you. I think that's the money part if you are a parent, if you are, you know, someone who has a vested interest in this, who I, I'm not trying to be gloom and doom. You know, I genuinely am not. And I hope it doesn't come off, come off this way. But then you almost kind of put the other kind of cloud of doubt in the perspective of of parents or maybe in players minds for the kids who have chosen to opt out which is well how do i know that my negative test is a negative right and i'm not trying to be fatalistic or you know uh coming from from a pessimistic point of view because this is something once again that's unprecedented and and you don't know how to go about it and the medical professionals are doing as will healy said they're fighting their rear end off but when you have something like this i think it just gives it's that one outlier, Joe, that just gives any anyone who wants to take the position on a on a we should be playing perspective or we shouldn't be playing perspective, you know, more ammunition to to fuel their argument. And it's something that, like you said, I think it was bound to happen. But unfortunately, it happens here in Conference USA. And, and it, it just, you know, it, it's a tough situation all the way around. But those are that was my con- kind of two takeaways from the uh, from the perspective. Yeah, I get that. I mean, not being a parent myself, I can't relate to what parents feel sending their kids off to college and and that sort of thing um, and worrying for their safety, especially in the midst of a global pandemic. But yeah, I, I, I can 
certainly empathize with the thought of not being certain that your kid is safe or isn't safe and that sort of that sort of feeling so i mean but again like i think you just have to have faith that like all the modern technology that we've put into diagnosing diseases and all that is going to work and you know unfortunately science just isn't there yet where it's able to figure out these things 100% of the time so like you like we said before it's it's an unfortunate circumstance for for both charlotte and georgia state and uh the good news is everybody seems to be pretty healthy so hopefully they can uh, right <laughs> pick up their seasons right where they left off yeah so <laughs> it's ultimately it's it's weird but it's it's good news <laughs> so yay but uh i digress um let's talk about uh something else that's a little happier anyway uh eric you were on uh with our friends at the roost uh a site that covers rice football uh, on their podcast last week talking about cusa quarterbacks uh top five and that sort of thing um interested to see if your feelings have changed since you were on that show and um i know it's kind of tough to find five guys within this league right now uh considering all of the weirdness and people leaving and opting out and all that um in terms of who kind of sits atop that list I had fun with the guys on the roof. I mean, first off, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go and check those guys out. They always do a great job, whether it's just rice in general. And, you know, they'll kind of span off into general conference USA um, topics and musings and things of that nature. So great job by those guys. But it it was tough, Joe, because you look at last year, we had so many great quarterbacks and Jamar Smith and Reynolds and Abraham and James Morgan and Mason Fine. It just seemed like, each team kind of had their guy who you felt could, could lead them, you know, or at least a majority of teams. You try to find five this year and it's pretty tough. You know, Chris Robinson, I forgot about him. That's another one, right? You know, arguably the best one in conference USA. You go down UTSA. They have Frank Harris, right? And he looks to be emerging, but it's still early tech. It looks as if Luke Anthony's kind of putting his old stranglehold on that job, and maybe he can be the guy who breaks out this year and, and uh, you know, kind of ex- excels and excuse me, excels into that top five realm. UTEP, Gavin Hardison, we still got to see what's going on there. UAB, is it Bryson Lacero? Is it TJ three? I guess we'll see. You know, with injury, North Texas, that's a situation that's still working itself out. Rice hasn't played a game, so we don't know what you have there. Talk about Jack Abraham. Grant Wells at Marshall, again, one mm-hmm. good game, one bad, uh, game against a, a, a top 25 team. FAU, I haven't played a game. FIU, they played three quarterbacks. Charlotte, Dom Schaffner is now the guy because Chris Reynolds is hurt. Western Kentucky, do we really know what we have with Tyrell Pigram? Asher O'Hara would have been a, another guy who I left out in, uh, that we would have put in that top five list. He looks to be you know kind of rounding in and, and maybe a – um, a, coming off a good game, you know, we can see if he can get back into the old Asher or hair of 2019. But Joe, if you had to rank one through five, what do you do? I mean, I think you got to do Jack Abraham one. Mm-hmm. And then from there, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> um, man, it, if we're talking about just who's in form right now, um, I would I'd put Grant Wells in there. Granted, very early, but I really like what I've seen out of him so far. Um, yeah, and then I, I mean, we probably got to give it to uh, 
uh, Hardison from UTEP. Like he's he's playing really well. We talked about how UTEP's off to their best start in ten years and all that. So I would probably put him in there somewhere. Uh, I would still keep Asher O'Hara in there. I know um, his team hasn't had a very good start, but I really like just him based on his athletic ability. And we saw you know we saw him make a couple of critical mistakes against UTSA. But that's you know definitely frustrating um, to see him make the you know in the same game make such uh, critical mistakes, but also make phenomenal plays the way he did. Um, and then I'd put Frank Harrison there. Um, I think he's really shown um, the potential that he has to lead UTSA to one of their better seasons since the uh, you know the birth of that program and all that. Um, We'll see how this sprained knee ultimately affects him, but I really like what I've seen out of him. And I think that's five. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you, uh, you did hit five. And here's the thing. I'm not going to push back on your list. All I will say is this. If you are a Louisiana Tech fan and you want to pay put uh, Luke Anthony in there, or if you're uh, a UAB fan and you say Bryson Lissero looks good, or if you're, uh, you know, whoever – you can make the argument that your guy should be in that list just because, you know, I, I tweeted out a, a couple weeks ago, 11 of 13 conference USA teams or 13 that are playing this year are bringing in new quarterbacks. So if, if it's one thing, and, and I think this would kind of be the overarching point that we'll make as far as we transition to previewing next week's games. If you can get consistent quarterback play, that is going to help you break out from the pack and give you a shot to win the conference this year. And I know that kind of sounds redundant, but especially with the amount of teams that are bringing in new quarterbacks, whichever quarterback, you know, really jumps out, establishes, establishes himself, excuse me, as being that, that guy their team can depend on, you got a really good chance of winning, a, a winning the division this year. And that could be a UTSA or maybe even a UTEP. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely could. At this point, anything can happen in CUSA. So it, it's ultimately going to come down to who has the uh, who has the best year out of their quarterback, I think, or at least that's going to be a big part of it. Um, with that, then, let's talk about some games for next week. On Friday night, we have BYU hosting Louisiana Tech. Uh, the Cougars, the number 22 team in the country for a reason as they're off to a 2-0 start with uh, some big victories against uh, Navy and Troy to start the season. Um I'm picking BYU. They're favored by 23 and a half Louisiana tech. Like we talked about ad nauseum earlier in the show, very good team, but I think BYU, um, I think they have the potential to end up as like top 12, top 10 by the, by the end time this season's over based on their schedule and the amount of talent that's on that team. So um, hopefully Louisiana tech can keep pace, but I think BYU is going to take this one. Yeah. I'm expecting BYU to win, but, the biggest thing I'm looking for from Louisiana Tech is just their quarterback situation. We want to see, it looks like it's going to be Luke Anthony. I don't know if they're going to split reps again with Luke Anthony or Aaron Allen, especially coming off the performance that Anthony had. You would think it's going to be him, but you want to see how he progresses, right? Because kind of just piggybacking off the point I just made, if they can get consistent quarterback play and if he's able to give them even a semblance of what he performed with last week, I think that's going to help Tech going forward because the rest of the pieces seem to be there. Yeah, 100%. Um, with that, then let's talk about uh, UAB hosting UTSA and what's going to be an interesting battle for the CUSA West title. Uh, UAB favored by 20.5, uh, according to the ESPN odds. 
I don't know that I agree with that. I think based on what we've seen out of UTSA, I think they are at the very least going to keep this a very close game. Um, this is student sincere McCormick against uh, Spencer Brown. It's hopefully Frank Harris against Bryson Lucero. I think this is going to, I'm really excited for this game. Um, ultimately I'm going to pick, uh uab just because i think experience is going to triumph a little bit and if that knee is still sore for frank harris i don't think we're going to see him at a hundred percent specifically but um yeah it, it's interesting to see the point that both of these teams are at and i think we're going to get a really entertaining game on saturday uh which is at 3 uh, 30 by the way or sorry 12 30 eastern by the way the thing for me, Joe, is I really wish Frank Harris was healthy, and that's not taking away anything from Josh Adkins because I think he's, like I said, he has starting experience from his time at UT, or UTSA. Dear God, I almost did it again at New Mexico State. <laughs> but Frank Harris was playing so well and using his legs. You kind of wanted to see that matchup against a really good defensive UAB, and unfortunately we're not going to get that matchup. But since they're McCormick versus Spencer Brown will certainly be a matchup in its own right, and it's going to be this is going to be a, a benchmark game for UTSA. You know, I'm not expecting them to go in there and beat UAB, but if they truly are, and a lot of people are throwing stones at them as a 3-0 team that hasn't played anybody, if they can go in and get the win or at least push UAB, then I think he really got something there in UTSA. I'm picking UAB, but I think it's going to be a close game. Same. Uh, with that, then let's move on to a game with uh, two teams that will likely have some rust, but should be entertaining nonetheless. FAU looking to play their first game of the season against a Charlotte team that uh, hasn't played in a couple of weeks in Boca at four Eastern on ESPNU. Owls favored by seven. Um I'm going to pick Charlotte. I think based on what we've seen out of them so far, I think they have a lot of talent. I think they have the benefit of having real game experience heading into this game. And I just don't know what to think about this FAU team based on the roster changes that they had to make late in the summer. And the fact that they just haven't played a game yet or in what week five, that's, that's nuts to me, but 2020 is 2020. I'm with you, Joe. I'm really looking forward to seeing just what FAU has Willie Taggart making his return to Conference USA, or at least a Conference USA program, because um, I believe Western Kentucky was in the Sun Belt when he was there. But yeah, just really looking forward to seeing what they have. Nick Tronti, what we do know is, at least as long as COVID doesn't take anything away, they got a great running game with Malcolm Davidson and BJ Emmons. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to pick FAU just because, once again, you've heard me say on this podcast in the past weeks, that that rushing game is really the main thing that keeps them in there. And they've got a lot of power five talent coming in via transfer, whether it's TJ Chase, uh, Aaron Young from Duke, Michael Irvin the second from Miami. So I'm going to pick FAU. I think they have enough talent to win. And especially if Dom Schaffner is going to be the guy, we don't necessarily know Chris Reynolds' status so far. I think that FAU should have enough, but very curious to see just what that team looks like coming off so much ro roster turnover and transition. Absolutely. So we have MTSU hosting Western Kentucky at five Eastern on ESPN three Western favored by seven, according to ESPN odds. But here's the thing. I'm going to pick MTSU. I think this is going to be the game where we see uh, MTSU offense and Asher O'Hara kind of knock the dust off. I'm growing less and less optimistic about Western Kentucky season as the, the more I see them play. Um, 
if Western is going to do something, they need to do it now in a rivalry game. But ultimately, I think Asher O'Hara is probably the most talented offensive player on that field. And hopefully he can, uh, well, hopefully for his sake anyway, he can limit the mistakes in this game and, and lead his team to their first victory of the season. It is make or break time for both of these teams. If Western Kentucky is going to do anything this year, it's got to happen against Middle Tennessee this week. And for Middle Tennessee, if they're going to kind of try and rebound and not let this season kind of – well, what season that, as you, you know, kind of pointed out, has already seemed to be getting away from them, just fall even further into the abyss, they got to get something going. For Middle Tennessee, they are facing at least what we thought coming into the year was one of the better defenses in Conference USA. I think you got to look at D'Angelo Malone, see what he's going to do. I'd seen them kind of using him as a spy a little bit. They did that with him against Malik Willis. Let's see if they continue to do that uh, against a rushing quarterback and our dual for a quarterback in Asher O'Hara. If they're going to try to let him just pin his ear back and, and rush the, the passer. For Middle Tennessee, again, got to get the rushing game going via the running backs. I, they do not have a chance to win this game if they're not going to get any production from the backs and Asher O'Hara has to kind of engineer all the offense. Uh, it's a tough pick for me, Joe. I'm going to go with Western Kentucky. I, I just think at this point, mainly Middle Tennessee's defense is one that is, uh, they're struggling. You know, Reed Blankenship can only do so much, and, and the rest of the guys, are, they're bringing in so many new guys. They have It's really led by Blankenship and Gregory Great. But uh, I think Western Kentucky, mm-hmm. Pigram, you kind of see the talent there. If it's, if it's going to pop for Pigram, it's going to be against Middle Tennessee's defense. So give me Western. Fair enough, then. And then we close out the slate at 7.30 Eastern in Denton as North Texas hosts Southern Miss. Here's the thing. I'm going to take North Texas just based on what they've been able to put together so far in the two games they have played. Southern Miss, it's just one thing after another with them. Uh, Granted, I think Jack Abraham is a a much better quarterback than either of the two guys that North Texas continues to experiment with. But, uh, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum already. That depleted defense on Southern Miss is a problem, and I don't see them fixing that between now and Saturday. So picking the mean green at home here. I'm expecting a shootout. We know that North Texas has had trouble stopping teams, but as I said, Bailey Zappi's a hell of a quarterback. Southern Miss, that defense certainly has their issues. I'm expecting 35, 40 points for each team plus. You know, probably a, the over-under here, I'll set it at, at 80, 85 and see what happens. I think that just based on the fact that Jack Abraham is the best player on the field, at least in my opinion, I think he's going to rebound against that North Texas defense and give me Southern Miss and Scotty Walden to get his first victory as interim head coach of the Golden Eagles. All these games, high entertainment value, lot on the line. Looking forward to watching it and looking forward to talking about it with you all next week on another episode of the Underdog Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning into this one. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. And of course, follow Eric and myself on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore and uh, at Underdog Dynasty, obviously. Uh, keep coming back to Underdog Dynasty every day for more G5 football content. We got you covered in that regard. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Happy football watching, everybody.